Welcome to Talking Health Tech. My name is Peter Birch, and this is a podcast of conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. With me today is Tim Atkins. He's the Chief Operating Officer at CancerAid, a digital health technology company that builds patient engagement solutions for people with a cancer diagnosis. CancerAid has raised $2.4 million to date and has been featured as Australian InsureTech Company of the Year, Standout App by Apple in 2017, and Global Startup of the Year by Sir Richard Branson and Steve Wozniak in 2017. Tim started his career in corporate law before transitioning into an operations role at CancerAid in 2019. Hey team, how are you going? Hey Pete, I'm well, thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, good one. Whereabouts are you uh, joining us from at the moment? So currently in Redfern at Cicada Innovations, and I've got to say, uh, you've helped me live out my dream of becoming a Spotify recording artist, so <laughs> thanks for that. Watch out, Joe Rogan. He's, uh, that's, right. that's right. Yeah, there's, there's a deal on its way, man, so look out. Cool. So, so Cancer Aid, be good to delve into to what you guys do. Been meant to have you guys on, on the show for a while now, so I'm really keen to dig into it. Yeah. Kick us off, Cancer Aid. What do you guys do and what problem do you solve? Yeah, so CancerAid's a digital health company. We're based in Sydney, Australia, and we use human health coaching and technology to elicit positive behaviour change in cancer patients. So I guess the problem that we set out to solve a couple of years ago is that of patient engagement. If we can get patients to be actively engaged in their own care and knowing exactly what they can be doing in their own time to manage their care, participating in healthcare decisions, they'll achieve better clinical outcomes. The challenge is drive that behavior change. So that's what we try and do. I know patient engagement is probably something that your listeners, Peter, very much across, but it it can be jargon for for some Mm -hmm. people. So I guess the way that we try and break that down is if you think of the act of tracking one's symptoms in an extremely clinically meaningful behavior because it enables clinicians to make better decisions about someone's treatment and clinical trajectory. The Mm -hmm. challenge is no one's done that and track their symptoms regularly before they've been told they've got a cancer diagnosis. So it requires a behavior change to do that regularly over the longer term. So that's where we try and come in and try and coach patients and use technology to drive that behavior change to track your symptoms or to exercise more regularly or to have better conversations with your care team. So that's where we try and play. Hmm, interesting. I want to delve into some of that in a bit, but uh, I wanted to learn a little bit more about you as well, Tim. You've got a background in law. How did you wind up in this gig at Cancer Aid? Yeah. So, I guess, yeah, funny route here, but started in when, when I really was choosing which degree to go into when I was 17. Didn't really exactly know what to do, so chose split degree of law and commerce to keep the options open, as everybody says. I was going to say, as everyone does. And then, <laughs> as everyone says, you know, do the, do the smart thing, play it safe. Yeah. So, I did that for, you know, six, seven years, whatever it was, and then stayed on the train tracks and went into a corporate law gig as a grad, but was never, heart was never really in it, Pete. The entire time, I was really, had this allure of the startup world, you know, mm. just you know, you can go work for a startup and, and everything will be hunky-dory. So I was always learning marketing on the side while I was doing my grad role or SEO or something like that. And then sort of two years in, I thought, okay, you've done your basic training. And I think it was really beneficial for that basic training and organization and communication. And that all, all that was really good. It's just the practical work didn't really excite me too much. So then after about a year and a half, I said, okay, what are the startups in Sydney? So I did a Google top 50 startups in Sydney (laughs) and then, yeah, just did that and then broke it down by mission. So something, I got some really great advice of just find a company which mission you really align with because when the going gets tough, that's what will really keep you going. Mm. Uh, And I think health tech 
was a natural fit for me. I think it's maybe more obvious what the social purpose, I guess, is. So Cancer Aid made a bit of a, a short list for myself of companies that I'd you know, love to go work for. It was about the right size, sort of 10 to 20 people at the time. And then I just sent an email to my sort of top 10 asking if they were looking to bring on some sort of generalist. I didn't even know what I was uh, pitching myself as. I just said, look, I'm really keen to learn. We'll pick up any skill. Please have me. There was a sort of mixed business development slash business operations role going at Cancer Aid at the time. Wasn't publicized, but that's what came back on the email. And because we're, we're B2B, so there's a lot of business development and also just keeping the, the cogs turning from an operational perspective. So came across, did that for sort of the last, yeah, nine months. And as we're growing and maturing, I guess, I um, was yeah, fortunate enough to sort of get promoted to the chief operating officer role. So it has been a bizarre journey, particularly in health because that wasn't my background at all. So I just yeah. feel like I'm learning every day and I'm going to learn a lot from you today, I would have thought. But yeah, been a wild ride, but glad to be here. It's funny though, I, I've kind of got a similar background in terms of how I've wound up into the, the startup scale-up world within health tech too. I more started within healthcare, but within the larger organizations then found my way to the smaller ones because I didn't like the big ones. <laughs> um, interesting that you raise about the how you went and sought out a, a gig at a startup scale-up health tech company. Is there any, like a question without notice, but is there any advice or hints and tips or things that you learned through that process that you'd give to anyone else that's keen to break into the health tech space? Yeah, absolutely. I think the first is, particularly if you've done a couple of years at sort of a corporate environment, I think a lot of people undersell themselves as to what they've actually learned. I think there is a lot to be said just by being, you know, organized or knowing how to write a solid email and knowing how to communicate and not dropping the ball on things. I think that a lot of people don't realize what they've already learned. And another piece of advice I actually got from someone from Airtree, which was find the size of 10 to 20 people because there'll be a bit of product market fit typically by then. So it won't be as much of a, a rat race sort of trying to, to find your place in the world. It'll be more a bit more stable and a better place to learn. So that's the other piece of advice. And just, I think the, the key that I've learned from being at Cancer Aid is if you show initiative, that is almost the most important, I guess, character trait for anyone working at a startup because there's just so many things you could be doing and no one has all the time in the world to organize other people. You know, you have a lot of freedom in many ways. So if you can demonstrate that you've got a lot of initiative before, I guess, you try and go for that interview even, will go a long way to a founder or someone who's at the company who's making the hiring decision to say, okay, this is the kind of person we really need. Yeah, yeah. Totally. That's some really good advice. Hey, look, back, back to, to Cancer Aid for a second. So, you mentioned that you're B2B. Love to know a bit more about, you know, who your client or clients are and or, or the types of companies or cohorts of patients that you might be working with. Yeah. So, I guess if you think about an engaged or activated patient that we spoke about a bit earlier, they will be happier, healthier, better sort of clinically. Having a happier, healthier, better patient impacts a number of different stakeholders. So not only the patient and their sort of direct family, but for example, insurers, a happier, healthier patient will claim less under their health insurance mm. policy or will return to work sooner and therefore claim less under their income protection policy through their life insurer. So insurers, there's a additional benefit of a patient getting better sooner. For a pharmaceutical company, we work with uh, a number of pharmaceutical companies. If they've got uh, prostate drug A, which is relatively similar from prostate drug B, C and D, if prostate drug A has this 
great support program which delivers clinically meaningful outcomes for cancer patients that can help them, I guess, generate market share when a clinician is choosing between dr- prostate drug A, B, C, or D. Mm-hmm. So insurers, pharma, and the, the final, I guess, customer segment we work with is employers. So you've got a happier, healthier, better employee that has a number of flow-on effects for the company in terms of, I guess, more directly productivity or return to work, but company culture acquisition of of talent, retention of talent. Plus, I think a lot of our B2B customers, they just, they really want to do the right thing and be there for patients under their care at the time that matters. And I mean, it's more of a softer reason why they work with us. I think those ones I said previously are more the harder ROIs, but there's a, there's, yeah, there's a number of reasons that our customers work with us. And then we sort of charge the customer and then we never, or we haven't yet sort of charged the, the patient. Yeah. Yeah. How do you go about finding those, you know, really solid relationships and good fit for a client? Because there'd be a lot of, you know, a lot of listeners that might think that that their products are a good fit for a B2B arrangement where there might be an insurer or a payer or someone who would have mutual benefit from having their cohort of members or patients using their platform. How do you especially if you start up scale up and then, you know, coming into a larger organization, how do you win them over, win the hearts and minds and say, this product is legit, you should, you know, hand over some coin for it? Yeah, I think the trick to anything successful from a B2B point of view, from what I've learned is finding that internal champion, finding that one person who's like, oh, I get it. This moves me. I'm going to fight for it internally. And that is the hardest bit is knowing at what level to find this person. And so what you've got to try and work out is, is it the head of claims? Is it the head of underwriting? Is it the HR department? Is it the injury management team? Sort of there's a bit of trial and error there, but once you find the right level and then really nurturing that relationship with that key champion is the key to getting them over the line because you, you, you are selling to big corporates at the end of the day. So there's a lot of steps and hoops that you need to get through. So having that sort of person on the inside who really believes in what you're doing is the most critical thing, I think. Totally. I'd, I'd have to agree with you there. So to the team, Cancer Aid, you, you mentioned when you started, I've forgotten, you, I think you said there was 10 or 20 people when you started or something like that? Yeah, there was sort of, yeah, we've, we've, so we've grown by a couple of people since I've been there and now we're sort of getting to a really good point where we're starting to to hire more and more people, which is great. Yeah, cool. And so, it always seems to be growing. Every time I check in, there's some new faces and that's got to be a good thing. How do you guys go about managing a growing team? And particularly when I assume you're managing either a completely remote team or a partly remote team at the moment? Yeah, yeah. So, majority remote team at the moment. It's challenging from a couple of perspectives. I think the key thing that I've learned is when you work at a startup that has a social purpose, employees that want to come to work, you want to come to work for that. They want to know the vision and the mission and the strategy to make that meaningful impact on the world, which is terrific because it's a terrific motivator and great way of gelling a team and getting them to, to work together and really aligned. I think the challenge therefore comes is that keeping everybody very much across what is happening in the business across the strategy, across the impact that we're having both at a customer level, but also the patient level. And because everyone wants to know exactly what we're doing, what impact we're having, no one comes to work at a startup with a social purpose to be a cog in a wheel. They want to sort of know their impact, which is terrific. But when everyone's working remotely, there's a lot of information dissemination that has to happen to keep everybody up to date and informed, particularly when, you know, with startups, things change relatively quickly. You know, you've got a new opportunity that comes in the door and this feature request might get pushed off to the side for a little bit. So managing changing priorities is challenging 
and exacerbated, I think, by people being remote because any time a priority changes, someone might be a little bit disillusioned with their priority that's been pushed to the mm. side. So managing those that communication and, and relationships is a bit of a challenge. Yeah, no, I agree. So with Cancer Aid, then looking at your patient cohort, we were talking about before patient engagement. And you mentioned, you know, there'd be a lot of listeners who'd be very familiar with the term. It means something a little bit different to every organization. And it'd be great to get your, you know, perspective on how Cancer Aid looks at, you know, patient engagement and why that's so important for you guys. Yeah. So I guess what we always try and do is come back to the scientific literature around why patient engagement is critical. And it's a couple of sort of landmark studies which show an engaged and an activated patient, that's sometimes the, the, the other term used, can lead to a number of improved clinical outcomes, whether it be quality of life or anywhere up to, to overall survival. Now, I think the challenge is converting that understanding around patient engagement being important to a business model that works. So what we've found is that human health coaching, so our, our coaching program is a combination of human health coaching and technology. Human health coaching is the critical piece or one of the critical pieces to eliciting that behavior change that we're looking for. But the challenge therefore becomes the more human element involved in particular program, the less scalable it therefore comes. So you've got these diametrically opposed ideas of trying to use human health coaching to create a extremely hyper-personalized program that will really drive a, a really meaningful behavior change and therefore clinical outcomes. But you're also trying to build this business model which uses technology as much as possible to create this scalable business model that can handle sort of a number of patients at the same time or mm. it can expand overseas. So whilst there's been a number of really progressive companies in the cardiometabolic space, whether Lavongo and Amada are, are kind of the two that spring mm. to mind, what they've done really well is they've captured the concept of patient engagement. I mean, that's nothing new. I think it was sort of 10 years ago or so when someone said patient engagement is a blockbuster drug of the 21st century. But what they've done is they've used tech and this hyper-personalization that comes from human health coaching and pulled them together to create this really scalable business model. And that's been done in, in a number of different chronic disease verticals, but not yet in cancer. So that's what we're trying to grapple with at the moment is using tech to deliver the right intervention at the right time, but also bringing that human empathy, which we think is critical. Yeah. So I was going to say the engaging patients within healthcare generally can be a, a difficult task and something that can be draining, but do, doing it with cancer patients, that's got to be a, a challenge. And no doubt, you know, you've, you've got a group that's in desperate need of engagement, but also at the same time, probably I'm going to guess not in the mood for engagement right now or for much right now yeah. or anything that has the word cancer on it. So, you know, it, it's a really unfortunate situation to be in and, and one that's just got to be an emotional role roller coaster for them and their family and anyone involved. How, how does it play out in practice for you guys and, and, and how do you go about grappling with all that? Yeah, I think it's, it actually goes a little bit the other way. I mean, we, we think of cancer as a chronic illness as patients live longer and treatments are getting better and it's being considered more and more as a chronic illness. But if you think of other chronic illnesses like diabetes, they're typically a collection of lifestyle risk factors over time. Whereas with a cancer diagnosis, you know, you walk into the clinic and you don't have cancer, you walk out and you do. There's very much a line in the sand moment, uh, which is from a behavioral change point of view, quite powerful because there's this one moment of OMG, you know, I've got cancer, I'll do anything to get back on the other side of the fence. Mm. So from a behavioral change point of view, once people have progressed through those, you know, various stages of grief, it's quite powerful for generating a behavior change because people are in that 
mindset of I will do anything to get back to where I was before I walked into that clinic. So we find that if we get patients at the right time, we can really make an impact on their behavior. And the challenge is when you get them in the patient timeline. I think the further down the line we receive patients, the harder it can be to change their behavior. So yes, that's how I guess how we see it. During COVID, it's, it's been quite sad, obviously, because people are withdrawing from their typical support services just because they can't leave the house or, yeah. or, or are afraid to, to leave the house for fear of you know, being immunosuppressed. So we're finding that our coaches are spending more time on the phone and people are listening more and, and engaging their coaches a little bit more. Yeah, interesting. Okay. And what does that engagement look like with, with your product? Like, so if, if I was using CancerAid, if I was a an end user of the, the platform, is it a, a phone app or, or is it a subscription? Is it a like or a bit of everything? Yeah. What does it actually look like and what, what do I get? Bit, bit of everything. So we delivered the program through our app, our, our CancerAid app over email as well and through phone calls with our, with our health coaches. So it's a, it's a I guess, multi-modal, multi-channel approach to delivering that program. It lasts anywhere from you know, six to, to 12 weeks, depending on the program with you know, a number of human touch points throughout and lots of check-ins and accountability and support to make sure people are, are staying on track with the, with the program. Yeah, okay. All right, no, that makes sense. Hey, just changing track a bit and I'm throwing in a bunch of questions that I didn't prompt you on, so kudos for answering them so well and eloquently. I'm going to throw you another one. The like, Here we go. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, it's, and it's raising capital and generally pitching. I, I can't believe I didn't put a question in about Shark Tank when we were kind of prepping for this interview, but that was kind of a momentous occasion when Cancer Aid a few years ago, I think it was your founders, pitched on Shark Tank and got a few backers and all that kind of stuff. I don't think that show's been on for a while, but it was good to see a health-focused company, a health tech company, you know, making some waves. We're in a moment now within, like for any company, a startup scale-up where it's probably a really difficult environment to raise any capital at all or, or get funding or any backing for an idea, whether it's at early stage or later stage. How does Cancer Aid go about that and winning the hearts and minds and getting the financial backing to be able to realise your vision? And, and how can other organisations learn from that and do the same, particularly in this challenging situation? Yeah, no, a couple of good points there, Pete. I think just touching on, on the Shark Tank thing, that was a few years ago before my time, but yeah, they, they were successful. Andrew Banks, who invested Invested from the show is yeah he's remained a, an active investor and is an, like an incredible mentor to to a lot of us so yeah it was a really positive outcome the business model has changed since then we're in a phase at the moment where we're looking to to raise a series A next year so we're starting to put the feelers out a little bit about you know the appetite for digital health investments at the moment and you're right it's kind of this weird dichotomy whether on the one hand people are holding on to their capital because you know, there's this sort of economic recession potentially looming. But on the other hand, digital health is booming. Telehealth is booming. And so we're finding, on the whole, positive reception to our pitch, particularly now I think we do have a certain degree of product market fit and revenue and opportunities to scale both Australia and internationally. So that obviously helps and that's helped with some of the feedback that that we've got so far. So I think it's, it's a mixed bag, but overall, I think quite a good time if you're in the 
digital health space to to be pitching your idea. Cool. Hey, so so rounding it out then, Tim, what's on the horizon? What's in the future for Cancer Aid? Yeah, so just said before, uh, Series Eight in sort of Q1 2021, which which will be really exciting. That's designed to fuel our growth into Asia and also the US, which is really exciting. So that's the the largest from a capital raise and growth perspective point of view. We're also, we're in the business. I mean, our mission is transforming the experience of living with cancer. And so to do that, you can only do it one way, and that is by having a really clinically meaningful experience for cancer patients. So we're always looking to refine our program so that it really sings and dances and patients really feel like they've had their hand held and generates clinically meaningful outcomes for them. And you can only do that by constantly revising the technology, the program delivery. I mean, we were based inside a a cancer hospital for a number of years, and that was essential to getting that patient voice and using that patient voice to create our program. So we're always going to be refining that. And to the other extent, we've got a number of different B2B channels and, and different types of customers, and they each have their own value propositions. So we need to, both within Australia and abroad, refine our product to to meet the various value propositions of those customers. So I think there's a bit of growth internally to always improve us. I think any startup wants to do, they always want to improve, but also scale internationally, which is always exciting. So yeah, can't wait to see what the next year. It's been a incredible ride the last year. I cannot get over how much I've learned, but I think the next year could be even more exciting. Lots to do over the next six to twelve. So really exciting to hear how that goes. Good luck with with Series A and also with that expansion into into international as well. Tim, I'll put in some details of the conversation in the show notes of this podcast and any links that listeners can click through to and check out. All the best, and thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Pete. I've loved it. Thanks for listening to Talking Health Tech. My name is Peter Birch. Make sure you go check out our website for all our resources, including this podcast and the largest directory of technology solutions available to Australian healthcare practitioners today. Until next time, I'm out of here.